We're going to be opening God's Word to John chapter 9, so I encourage you to get that text in front of you. It's going to be a very familiar one to many of you, but nevertheless, open it up. We've talked a lot about, I've been spending some time just exploring this subject, you want to continue to unpack it, about how we are seekers. Uh, we, we're, we're searching. Inevitably, we're naturally seeking after things like love and acceptance or peace or hope, uh, sometimes truth, not, not always, but uh, things like that. And uh, even when it comes to shopping, you know, even this week, I was, uh, was this past weekend, we were uh, shopping for our kids some Christmas gifts. And, uh, and sometimes it's confusing because there's always an abundance of choices, right? And uh, opportunities and distractions along the way. And uh, we did something that was kind of novel. We actually decided to go shopping for Christmas gifts at a toy store. Imagine that. <laughs> you know, you can't find everything online, but that's part of the problem. You can find everything online and it's overwhelming. It's kind of like just intimidating to even think about it. And you spend actually more time trying to do shopping it was kind of a novel thing. Here I am walking around a toy store, and it took less time. And, uh, you know, just the, the joy of, of the freedom, it's kind of liberating because there was like a simplicity to it, you know, like, well, here are the choices, right? There, there's, a, there, there's, a, there's a limited amount. And I thought, you know, probably, you know I'm, probably, I'm probably paying some more than I should here, you know, but that's good. I looked down at my phone, I even compared a few prices, and lo and behold, I wasn't. I, I was, this is a great thing, and we actually got out of the door rather quickly. You know, you don't always find things easier and cheaper. A couple uh, weeks ago in John 1, I asked us the question, why is it that we reject and resist the truth? And the reason that we oftentimes resist and reject the truth is because we're bargain hunters. We, we're looking for a deal, not, not in the strictest sense of the word like, at an uh, you know, online shopping opportunity or Black Friday or cutting coupons or you know, haggling for a good deal, bargain hunters. But we actually bargain with things like the truth, which is kind of scary to think about. It's, it's costly. Even, even through denial and through delay, we, we don't want to come to terms with it. And I read a quote from uh, Bill Edgar, a professor. He writes, We prefer the relative comfort of spiritual complacency against the high cost of looking at the truth, the face of truth. We see it, but, but we, we, kind of, we kind of delay. We think to ourselves, those issues, those subjects, the things that are kind of waiting, weighty, the gravity about them, the, the, we don't need a sense of urgency around that. You know, I'll deal with that later. Many of you young people are probably inclined towards this. It, regardless of where you are and what stage of life, there are times when we say, yeah, you know, that's probably important, but, but later at a different time, or maybe we just distract ourselves with, uh, you know, entertainment and, and certain pleasures and other things by way of distraction to avoid. We have tactics, and it's kind of a, a dysfunctional relationship that we have with, well, with truth. Could it be that way with love? Are we looking for a bargain when it comes to love? Well, of course we are, absolutely, at times. We're bargaining. We're trying to find a place in a way that I'm not just talking about a romantic love. I'm just talking about love in the form of, of acceptance. There are times when we are, are looking for the place where there's the least amount of, of vulnerability and there's least cost and the high, highest benefits of love and acceptance, right? Well, where should we look? Are we looking for love in the wrong places? And what is the cost of that love? Well, let's look together at God's Word, John 3. Verse 16, for God so loved 
the world. That He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned. Whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men loved darkness instead of light, because their deeds were evil. We'll stop there. Would you join me in prayer? Father, we would ask right now uh, that you would come. Illuminate your word. Would you forgive us, Lord? Did you forgive us uh, our sins? We confess uh, sins that uh, confuse us, that distract us, that even deceive us. Because we're not able to perceive ourselves or our world or our purpose or our identity correctly. Would you compel us right now uh, through your love and uh, through your word? Would you even use your love to change us, to be more like Jesus? It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Why do people love you? Why do people love you? Is it your, is it your abilities, your talents, your Your looks, what you bring to the relationship, your charm, your personality. Do people love you? Perhaps maybe there are people in your life that love you because you have a shared history. Or there are people that love you because of a shared vision. There's people in your life that may love you because, well, they have to. They're family. (laughs) And uh, even this week, you're going to say, but we don't, you know, we love you, but we don't necessarily like you, and this is kind of awkward, and and we're going to try to put on a, well... Why do people love you? Well, let me tell you right now here today, standing on the authority of God's word, that all the reasons, any of those reasons that people love you, with God, they are not the same. Whatever, the, whatever, the, whatever you imagine it is that is, is most compelling for why people would love you, they're not the same reasons that God loves you. You. Do you ever get tired of hearing that? God loves you. I hope you don't get tired of hearing that. The problem is, at times we doubt that. We doubt that God loves us or that God even could love us. We, we struggle at times. I know I do. Maybe it's because of something that is present in your life right now. Or maybe it's something that's lacking in your life that causes you to doubt God's love. Or, or maybe it's something by way of a circumstance in your life right now that would cause you to doubt that God loves you indeed. Well, here in John 3, even earlier in this chapter, we see that there's a man, his name is Nicodemus. And Nicodemus is an established leader in the community. Uh, He is a religious man who knows a great deal. He has a, a significant amount of clout and understanding. And then he heads off to have this conversation with Jesus. He approaches him. And now we get this privilege to kind of overhear a personal conversation. That's kind of what the Gospel of John is. If you think about even the broader context of John, it's a lot of personal interactions that Jesus has. And here's one of them. And Nicodemus comes by way of night. Because presumably under the cover of night, he won't be exposed for having uh, you know, interacted with this controversial figure, Jesus of Nazareth. But he wants to go, and he, he is seeking something, and he's going to the right source, even if he is going by cover of night. And when he gets to Jesus, uh, he hears this from Jesus, this other familiar phrase that's in John 3. If you want to see the kingdom of God, Jesus tells Nicodemus, you must be born again. Very good. 
you, you, must, you must experience not only birth physically, he says, you must not only be born of flesh, but you also must be born of spirit, which is to say, not only physically, but spiritually. You must have an experience by way of rebirth. You must be, again, born. And that's peculiar to us. It was peculiar to Nicodemus. He says, I, I don't understand. It's puzzling to him. But then he goes on to talk about this because he's challenging Nicodemus. He's saying, Nicodemus, you know, all the things that you know, all that you've experienced, all that you've acquired by way of your, uh, your religious performance or your, your knowledge of, of Scripture, let me tell you, you don't just need to be reformed. You need to be transformed. And the thing that transforms people, and this, this, is, this is true in so many realms in so many ways, the thing that transforms people, and we all need it, is love. Love has a way of transforming. Now, um, here we experience, of course, the most popular verse in all the Bible. This is probably one of the most popular verses in all of sacred text anywhere. John 3.16 and we didn't, need, we didn't need Tim Tebow to put it on his face, and we didn't need that guy who stands in the stadium with the big sign, John 3, 16, uh, for it to be popular. It's, it's a popular verse for good reason. There's great good news here. In fact, the great uh, uh, reformer Martin Luther used to say that this is the gospel miniature. This is, in essence, the gospel, uh, he would say, Martin Luther, in a nutshell. Now, I'm the son of a dentist, and I could tell you, that a nutshell, you can still break your teeth. <laughs> you think about this. Because so often when John 3.16 is quoted or memorized or cited somewhere, it's usually alone, isn't it? Right? You, you, don't, you don't get these other verses typically in the fuller context about, you know, words like condemnation. Wait, 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 wait. I don't understand. Where is this coming from? But we have, to, we have to kind of look in. We have to peer into the, the real nature of love and rebirth here. Now, I've got a few questions just to kind of guide us along as we look at these few verses here. And here they are, in case you're taking notes. So, verse, the first question is, who here is loving? And what are the consequences of loving? And then lastly, uh, how are we responding to God's love? How are we going to receive and respond so the first question, uh, who here is loving? Well, there's two parties loving here. There's God and then there's, there's us. There's people. Verse 16, it's God. And verse 19, it's us who are loving. It says there, verse 16, God so loved. What, why does God even love in the first place? Well, you know, that, that, that's a mystery. I, we're not going to be able to unpack even a small fraction of it right now. But one of the reasons that God's, God loves is just because He does. It's a mystery to us that from all eternity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit have lived in perfect community, relationship, and love. We, we can't even begin to comprehend that. God is love. That's, that's His essence. You see... When we think about the nature of, of love, you know, sometimes when I'm working with couples in premarital counseling, I'll, I'll remind them, you know, hey, by the way, you know, love, love's, it's not a noun. 
You know, love's not a sentiment, it's not a thing, it's, it's, it's not an affection per se. Love is really, in its, in its purest form, a verb, because it involves what? Action, right? But with God, it's not a noun or a verb, really. Because God, sure, God is loving, but God is love. It's not just a quality about him, it's at the very core of his, his essence. Octavius Winslow, who was a Baptist, 19th century Baptist preacher, puts it best. He says, when talking about all, all the attributes of God, right? Because there's many things and qualities that would describe who God is. Of all of those attributes, it's love at the core. It, it, the, love is at the center, and so much so that he says, for example, omnipotence, that's the, you know, the, the all-powerfulness of God, omnipotence is the power of love. Omniscience, the all-knowing of God, omniscience is the eye of love. Omnipresence is the atmosphere of love, that God is present. Holiness, he writes, is the purity of love. Justice is the fire of love. And thus might we travel the circle of the divine perfections. Is your brain hurting yet? (laughs) But that's just it. We can't comprehend and conceive of it entirely because it is a holy love. It is set apart. The love of God is unique to Him. As we'll unpack a little more. But who and what does He love here? Because verse 16, what does it say? For God so loved. What? Who? Where? The world. God's love is so amazing and it's so profound. And it's not just because of the scope or the magnitude of how many people are out there. God loved the world as if it was referring to all the, all the people out there. Uh, Siri told me this morning there's 7.2 billion people in the world, right? That, that, that's remarkable. But that's not, that's not what's remarkable about God's love. As one commentator put it better than I, that the unique thing, the thing to be admired about God's love is not how big the world is with people, but how bad the world is. God so loved the, the world. In the original, it's the cosmos. And the cosmos doesn't have a positive connotation. It's not talking about the billions of people. It's talking about a whole system that is opposed and set up against God. And that's why elsewhere we read in 1 John chapter 4, it says, don't love the world or the things of the world. Do you understand? It's actually 1 John 2. I mean, but you might say, well, hey, but, but, but God's... God so loved the world. If God loves the world, then we're supposed to love. What's wrong with us loving the world? God loves the world. But you see, it's a unique way because we love the world in a way of consumption and selfish participation. But the way that God loves the world is a selfless, costly love of redemption. That's entirely different. We love love the things of the creation and the world to escape the Creator at times. Above and before the Creator, God. And that's why there is this whole system set up. The world is so wicked. There's opposition that we are by nature enemies of God. Verse 19, our text here. This is, you know, you start, this is kind of hard. 
This is the verdict. Lights come into the world, but men loved. Loved what? Darkness. We resist the light. I, I say it's like a raccoon. Raccoons are largely harmless unless you put them under a spotlight. <laughs> you know, you get them cornered and they get angry. It's not cool. You don't want to see this. You're exposed. We don't like the light either at times. We don't like the light because it reveals who we are. It shines in. It, it exposes us, right? At times, why do we do the things that we do at times in the dark and in secret and in hiding? Is it because of shame? Yeah, in part. But it's also because we don't want to stop doing those things. By the way, all types and form of love have consequence. And that's my next question. What are the consequences of loving? You know, another way I could put it is, what's the cost of loving? What's the cost of loving? Well, for God to love the world, he has to give. It's a sacrificial love. And while the grace and love of God are free to us, it doesn't mean they're cheap. Do you understand the difference? It is free to us, but it was, it was not cheap. It was at a high price, at a great cost to God. And Jesus agreed. He came into the world, verse 17, uh, to save the world, not to condemn the world, but to save the world. Now, this condemning that, that Jesus is not doing here is because that's already been done. Why is Jesus not condemning the world? Because that's where we stand. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't come and, and, and put us into that category or to, to present to us that. No, please understand. It's like, you know, you go to your doctor and you have these symptoms and they run a battery of tests and the doctor comes back to you, the physician, and she says, look, you've got type 1 diabetes. But this is not a contagion. This is, you didn't. The doctor, these tests, they didn't give you type 1 diabetes. My brother-in-law got diagnosed with it a few years ago. The doctor came in and said, you know, I would rather get hit by a truck or be diagnosed with cancer than get diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. Wow, thanks, doc. Whew. That, was, uh, that, was, that was some bedside manner. Um, that's where we stand. What is the consequence of loving for us? Well, it depends on what we love. If you love God, and if we love God, our Creator, then we become His bondservant. But if we love the world, then we become a slave. We become a slave to sin and self. Oh, it's fun for a while, for a season. But over time, we become a slave. And in God's economy, it's His immense and holy love that actually brings forth Anger and wrath. You see, it's not, it's not in spite of his love. It's actually in light of his love. Because the opposite of love, and others have said this better than I, the opposite of love is not hate or anger. The opposite of love is apathy. You see, it's precisely because God loves us and loves you so much that he hates the very things that destroy you and me. It's because God cares. It's because, and, and furthermore, God loves his glory and God loves the truth. 
Therefore, he has anger, even wrath, against those forms because he loves. Now, we just can't even conceive of that, can we? Because when we get angry, it's about our ego. <laughs> you know, we're embarrassed. We, we get angry because something got in the way or some uh, little person or annoying thing got in the way of us getting our agenda, our interest. We, we love things too, and that's why we hate things too. But not in the same way. So it's hard for us to understand. We hate being embarrassed or inconvenienced. God loves in a totally different way. We, people, we loved, we loved darkness instead of the purity of light. The consequence of our love for the world and self and sin is condemnation. It's, it's a natural state. In January of 2005, there were a couple of missionaries walking on the shoreline in Thailand. And they were there not on vacation, but as part of a volunteer um, cleanup effort. Because just a few days before, a few weeks before, there was a huge, massive tsunami. Maybe some of you remember. Over 200,000 people were killed and wiped out because of this tsunami. And they're there walking along the beach, um, and uh, they, uh, one of the guys kicks something underfoot. And he reaches down to get this, and lo and behold, it's a camera. Of course, the camera's completely ruined. Um, and the camera, uh, uh, he was checking it out, and he noticed as he banged on it that he could get the memory card out, the, the stick inside. So I'm, like, I'm going to see what's on here. And he, he took it back to his computer, and it was a camera that had belonged to this couple from Vancouver, uh, the Neals, John and Jackie Neal, they had been there during the time of the tsunami. They were looking to maybe retire there. They were on vacation. And they were about 50, they were about 50 um, meters up and about 200 or two or 300 meters back from the ocean. And there's a series of pictures on the camera that have been published that they took. And you, you see in the first one, it's got the, the stamp of the date and the time. There's something unique out on the horizon, on the ocean. There's the swell or some, some white caps. And then progressively, next picture, next picture, next picture. There's this giant wave. It's, it's terrifying. Now, even if they had begun to run at the, at the point of that first picture there's very little likelihood that they would have been in the clear, that they would have survived the tsunami. But they were wiped out. It, it, it's a horrible picture. They stood there condemned, in essence. But unlike them, we stand condemned, and we put ourselves there. We did, and in opposition and resistance and chasing after and loving things too much in front of, before God. How are we responding to God's love? Here's my last question. And even that question just assumes that we, that we must, that we must respond to God's love. And again, you can say to yourself, I'll get around to that someday. I'll deal with the weight of that. I, you know, I've got way too much going on uh, by way of suffering or busyness or, or, or other things in my life to really deal or grapple with God's love. That, that's something else. But you must you have to. It, it, it's, it's not optional. 
And by the way, when God loved the world, it wasn't neutral. It wasn't like the world was neutral toward Him. We were in opposition to Him. This past week, I was visiting uh, with a friend of mine. He's in his 80s. His name's Claire Davis. He was a professor for many, many years of church history. And uh, we were sitting there over coffee, and he said, Troy, what do you think is the greatest sin of all? I don't know, Clara, maybe uh, pride? Seems that way for me. And he said, okay. I said, I don't know, maybe, maybe, it's, maybe it's a lack of gratitude is the worst of all sins. Or, or maybe it's just some form, of, maybe it's unbelief. And he said, I think it's this. The greatest sin is not responding to God's love. So true, so true. There are only two op- options. You can be apathetic or indifferent to God's love. But to be apathetic or indifferent is to reject it. So how could or how should we respond to God's love? It's through yielding, it's through surrender, it's through, it's through trusting. It's through trusting Him above ourselves and before ourselves. It means confessing our sin and crying out to forget with, with, with great desire for forgiveness to the God of love who provides a way. That Jesus was rejected so that we could be loved. That Jesus was condemned so we wouldn't have to be. Jesus came into the world, verse 17, to what? To save the world, to save sinners. For those who know themselves to be a sinner. So that's the invitation, right? And that's why it says to us here, whoever would believe on him. Now, sometimes we get a little bit confused about that because we get this picture in our mind that, that whoever believes is kind of like a meeting God at the halfway point. Like, you know, God's trying and somewhere about halfway down the path and, you know, we just meet up with God. Whoever would just meet up and receive that gift. You know, another way I've heard it put, and I think this is wrong, just as a heads up, it's like this. You know, when it comes to your salvation and your forgiveness with God, you know, there's three votes. You know, God has his... The devil has his, we know what that is. And then there you are, casting that, you know, that tiebreaker. That is not true. Small problem with that. God's vote seems pretty small. Doesn't, doesn't add up. Doesn't make... Friends, we're not self-made. We must be reborn. And just to follow along with that analogy, what did you contribute to your birth? Nothing. You didn't even name yourself. Mom gets all the credit. Dad, I'm going to go there. But you know what I'm saying. We have nothing. We don't contribute to our, our existence in the world. Why do we love God? We love God because 1 John 4 says, He first loved us. So if you want to take away something today, here's one of them. If there's ever a moment, and I know, I I know we resist it, but if there's ever a moment that you begin to feel a desire to love God, thank Him. Thank Him. It's a mercy of God that we would even desire that he would even awaken our affections to who he is and how much he loves us. Thank him. Thank him. The show that I 
I've really enjoyed over the years his Prairie Home Companion. Anybody here listen to that? Garrison Keeler. It's a variety talk radio show. Wow. Yes, yes, okay. Prairie Home Companion, you know, stories from Lake Wobegon. Do you know this? Yes? You know Lake Wobegon, where the women are strong, the men are good looking, and the children are above average. Garrison Keillor has hosted the show up until this year for who knows how long. He tells the story of Lydia. Lake Wobegon's a fictional place in Minnesota. But the story is of Lydia, and she graduates from school there. She's tired of her Lutheran Minnesota town, and she wants to live her own way. She wants to go her own route. She wants to party. She wants to be free. She wants to entertain uh, whatever. And so she does. She goes to New Orleans. That's a good place. She tries to find comfort in a variety of avenues in the arms of different men. She lives a pretty hard life. And then after a season of that, she decides one morning, I'm just going to go home. I'm just going to go home to Lake Wobegon. So she does, and It's kind of hard. It's kind of awkward. She finds a place to live. She starts working again there in the town. And she knows people are whispering and talking about her ways. She doesn't feel a whole lot of love. One day around the holidays, her parents say, come on over. We're having a big meal. Please. She comes back to her house and Everybody's gathered over in the kitchen or in the dining room, and she makes her way over into the den. And there above the mantle of the fireplace, there's a picture of her graduation. And right below it, just just below it, there's a label, and it says, Our Lydia. It's kind of a strange thing to label your children in their own house. (laughs) But the label was typed on her father's old Remington typewriter, just had two words, our Lydia. And those three letters, that one word, our, she said, were diamonds to her, treasure to her. It was her father proclaiming against the whispers of everyone else in the town, I love her, she is mine. Yeah, you know, you're thinking, but God doesn't, he didn't, he didn't, he didn't. You know, he didn't love us that way. He, he has not talked to us that way. God's, God's, God's upset. He's withholding. And he's, you know, I think he's, he's probably got a grudge against me. I, I, I mean, I, I deserve it, if anything. I, no, he has. He has spoken to you and to me this way. In the book of Hosea, he longs over his people who are living in opposition, who are running from him. And Hosea chapter 11 says this, When Israel was a child, I loved him. Out of Egypt I called my son. But the more they were called, the more they went away from me. They sacrificed to Baals and they burned incense to to images. It was I who taught Ephraim to walk, uh, taking them in his arms, but they did not realize it was I who healed them. I led them with cords of human kindness, with ties or bonds of love. To them I was like one who lifts up a child to the cheek. And I bent down to feed them. 
There's not a single person here that does not want to be loved in that way. There's a small problem. When we're really honest about the scope of that, we want to be known and loved. And that feels like a tension at times, and it's one of the things that leads us to deceive and to hide. Because we think to ourselves, if others really knew me, then they would reject me. And as painful as it is, that's probably true, by and large. But it's not that way with God, because He knows you better than you know you. And yet he still loves you and I. God loves you. God loves you. Don't reject this. Don't resist this. If you hear his call, if you hear him and his love trying to transform you, inviting you, pulling you to greater devotion, to new affections, to reject something, to forsake something, then you hear that and respond. Would you? I'm talking to you. I'm talking to myself. Even as much as I'm talking to you right now. Lord, help us. Father, right now we do need help. And even as I said at the beginning, I know that we need you to forgive us of our sins because our sins confuse us and distract us, even deceive and blind us. So give us eyes to see and to perceive. Would you give us a heart right now that's not, that's not proud or hard, but soft and surrendered, yielded over to your love. And I pray that you would comfort us with great truths, that you would transform us today. And I pray that you would bless people, even this week, who will find it difficult to give and receive love. Many people grieving the loss of those that they love so much. Or dreams that were dashed. Or sorrows that, that loom so heavy, it's hard to understand your love. Oh Lord, grant faith, please, and peace to those who struggle most. We love you and we know it's only because you loved us first and we thank you for that in Jesus. Amen.